Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. We um, have a great guest for you today. His name is Dr. Greg Hammer. He is from a professor and a doctor and all things Stanford University Medical Center. He's an author and has an amazing book. And um, before I bring him on, I do want to let you know that someone is mowing their lawn in the background and leaf blowing, I think, because we're here in Maine and the leaves are everywhere. And uh, in northern Maine, it started to snow, which is like a four-letter word. Anyway, um, to go to his website is greghammermd.com. G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And um, so we're probably going to be on the phone here today with Dr. Hammer for maybe like an hour or so. So um, get that cup of coffee, tea, no soda, please. We don't love soda here at the Best Ever You Network. Water, um, you can do whatever you want. But anyway, um, grab it and put your feet up and and have a listen because we're going to learn here. We have access to... um, we have access to brilliance here, I think. Um, so welcome, Dr. Greg Hammer. How are you? I'm well, Elizabeth. So great to be with you. Thank you very much. And um, are you actually in the Bay Area right now? I am. I have a lovely home on Stanford campus. And so I'm sitting in my office uh, looking outside at a beautiful day here in Northern California. I'm very fortunate to be living here. And yeah. uh, also to be at Stanford, such a wonderful place. Oh yeah, I've I've so many questions. Yeah, I moved. We moved to Maine in 2004 from Walnut Creek. Uh, oh really? And, yeah, That's two quite of a, our quite a move. It was. It was 25,000 pounds of stuff across the country, four kids and three cats on an airplane, and one of our cats got loose on the airplane. We're that person. Um, but <laughs> we, but two our two younger boys were born at John Muir in Walnut Creek. Yes, uh, very pretty out there. Very, yeah, very beautiful. So I'm a little jealous that you're in the Bay Area, but we'll we'll go with it. Now, um, Stanford, have you, when you were a little kid, like when you were in kindergarten and all this stuff in high school and everything, did you know you were going to be a doctor? Did you think, did you think that's what you would do? No, absolutely not. I don't remember what I thought I was going to do when I was that young, but uh, probably like most little boys, be a professional baseball player. No, I didn't actually uh, think about medicine until I was uh, an undergrad. So it came uh, rather late for me. No physicians in my family and uh, never really on my radar until then. Yeah, we have, um, we have a lot of, we have like a career corner on best ever you when we have guests that are so established and, and, um, doing doing things that are very hard to achieve like like you're doing. I imagine that wasn't an easy road to become <laughs> all the things that you, you are, a, a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, and professor at Stanford University Medical Center. You, um, you're you a, ma- a member of the Stanford Well MD. Is that how you say that? I don't want to mis- 
yeah. uh, initiative yeah, and the Wellness Committee for the American Society of Anesthesiologists. And uh, you're currently the chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. So um, that's a lot of, of, of school, right? <laughs> yeah, like it the- is. A, it's a lot of school. Fortunately, I, I trained a while back when it was a little bit shorter than it is now. So we don't have too many physicians doing both the specialties of pediatric intensive care and pediatric anesthesiology. The training has become even longer than it was back in my day. But, uh, yes, I think you have to follow your passion and uh, hang in there and, and, and do what you really feel strongly about in your heart. And if that takes 10 years or 15 years, so be it. Um, just have to take it one day at a time. Was this always easy? Was there ever a point where you're like, oh, this is so hard to do? I'm sure there were lots of those points, but I tend to let go of those sentiments and and be very forward-looking and pragmatic. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure the journey was, was difficult, but I think so is every other path that leads to fulfillment and success. There's no shortcuts. You know, there's sort of the 10,000 hours rule, and uh, sometimes it can be substantially more than 10,000 hours. Yeah. Now, you've also written a book, which I will get to here in a minute. It's called Gain Without Pain, uh, yeah, Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals, and that was released in May. But I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of keep going a little bit on um, – how you got to where you are, because um, I think the the younger members of our audience who are in college and so forth will really appreciate that insight. Um, do you mind if we kind of keep going there a little bit? Because I'm, I'm really no, curious. No, not at all. I don't mind at all. <laughs> okay. Because I'm really curious. Of, I, I'm 51, so um, and we have four boys, and they're all in college basically at once. And um, so so their friends listen and stuff like that, and, and our network uh, our network has been called upon kind of during this period of time for guidance. And so if we can provide that, I'm, I'm all for it. But did you can you describe the moment um, or moments in that undergrad where you thought, oh, I'm going to be a doctor? Was there something that happened or? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, as I recall, I was. Uh, studying a number of things. I was studying Buddhism. I was studying astronomy. Uh, I was studying nutritional science. And uh, in fact, I transferred from Northwestern University to the University of Wisconsin in Madison uh, in order to study nutritional science. And I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with that, but I had become a vegetarian. I suppose I was a bit of a hippie. Um, I stopped eating meat when I was 18, and I was on this path of seeking, hence the study of Buddhism. Um, And uh, I sort of came to a fork in the road. You know, eventually you have to get practical about it and decide what you want to do for a living. And I started off just kind of studying things in which I was interested without necessarily assigning a, a pragmatic path. Uh, if you will. But then, uh, you know, you get to a point where you come to a fork in the road when, uh, as Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, what would be the most practical application of things that I'm passionate about? And I I kind of 
began to see the human body as uh, analogous to the universe, if you will. So I was studying astronomy, among other things, and became very interested in, in just the interrelatedness of all things, from the micro to the macro, and whether that is in the field of planetary science and astronomy or the human body. There are many parallels. And paired with my interest in nutritional science, that's when I decided to go into medicine, um, studied the human body and its physiology more, and and that became my path. And I never looked back. Uh, started applying to medical school, got accepted uh, early to uh, one of the medical schools in Chicago, and and I was off and running. Oh, so cool. Do you um, do you remember the point where you started to really? Do they still call it specialize um, in in pediatrics? I don't know yes, if I said that right. Of, uh, so correct me. <laughs> No, you did. Yes. So when you're in medical school, uh, you do rotations in all of the basic specialties, and then you have electives where you can do rotations in subspecialties. So you rotate through OBGYN, internal medicine, surgery, uh, pediatrics, psychiatry. And uh, I found that I really enjoyed working with the people in the field generally of pediatrics that I I felt more akin to the physicians and others working in pediatrics compared to adult medicine. I I don't have much patience for egos and uh, Mm. I was attracted to that uh, people in pediatrics seemed not to take themselves so seriously. And I think when you're working with kids, that is a natural uh, I don't know if it's a result. I think that a certain type of person is attracted to a particular specialty area in medicine. And then mm-hmm. because of the nature of people working in that field, that may be propagated. So I just felt a kinship to the people in pediatrics. And so I knew I was going to do a subspecialty within pediatrics. I wasn't really interested in primary care. But when I was uh, doing my residency, I had a rotation in the intensive care unit. We had a couple of anesthesiologist intensivists, which in pediatrics uh, was somewhat of a popular path to combine those specialties. They have so much in common, and that's what I decided to do. So I I did my residency in pediatrics, and then I did a residency in anesthesiology, and then I did fellowship training, which is sub-sub-specialized in pediatric intensive care and pediatric anesthesiology. Thank goodness you did all that because I can hear in your voice that you must just completely help so much with the stress um, uh, uh, that parents, grandparents, family members have when their child needs to undergo something. I, as, as a mom of four boys, and they're all 19 to 25 now, we've had a few trips to the emergency room before. And I'm just thinking back mm-hmm. as you're talking about your experiences and so forth, and I, I'm thinking back to the time where they – landed a chopper in our neighborhood to take one of our children to Oakland Children's Hospital who had spiral fractured his femur. Um, and, and they wouldn't let us ride with. And so when I, I'm just like, I'm just thinking back to that. When I got to the hospital, the doctor there was so much different, no offense to the doctor or anything, but so much different than the uh, way you're speaking right now. I literally got there and the doctor said, 
to me immediately, which would you like to have, Mrs. Garino? Um, he needs to either have surgery or have a full body cast on. That was a sentence that got spoken. I passed right out. Huh. And and yeah, so, that's, I mean, uh, I can imagine how that was kind of a shock. They treated me me on top of my three year old, you know, who had fallen down the stairs, and um, you know, so you just you have such a a, a, a sweet manner about you. That must be just such a, 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 I don't know, comfort, I guess is the right word. I'm searching for the right words. Do you um, find you have that effect on people? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I find it a great privilege to be doing what I do. Um, you know, the book uh, that, that I've published back in May, as you mentioned, Gain Without mm-hmm. Pain, uh, the GAIN is a four-letter acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, which I think are the four pillars of resilience and happiness. And gratitude uh, is comes pretty easy to me uh, for a number of reasons, but I'm very grateful, for example, to be in the position where I can treat children and, and help them and their families and uh, yeah. being present with them and really trying to connect with them is certainly a requisite uh, when you're dealing especially with children and their families. And uh, again, I think that's one thing that attracted me to the field of pediatrics is my experience, at least with practitioners yeah. in pediatrics was quite positive. Sounds like you had a bit of a mixed experience, at least on that occasion, but uh, no, I'm very grateful to be, uh, to be able to do what I do. And uh, I'm inspired by my patients and families to no end. And, and so it's just been yeah. a wonderful career. Yeah. I think a little bit that was on me too, because I'd really never had that experience before. And I really, I mean, it was pretty stressful enough to have your child taken to, you know, the Oakland children's hospital. And um, actually, as I came around, um, it, it was it it was okay, but my husband went. We opted for the full body cast, and the doctor actually was just probably so used to it, or what? I just have no idea. That sounds terrible, but um, just didn't his sentence didn't kind of foot well with me. But he ended up full body casting um, Quinn's stuffed animal too. Um, so they went hand in hand for a, a pretty long time in a in a full body cast versus surgery. But yeah, thanks for letting me share. Show, sorry, our our um. Sure. Our show's super conversational back and forth, so um, we we hope that as you're listening, um, you you have good takeaways. And I and I think your book is something. Whether you're a health health professional or not, I found the um, your four step process very very clever and very helpful. And um, I would love for you to talk more in depth about about your book, if you could. Sure. Well, I've been, uh, you know, a long-time meditator and, and seeker of the truth, I suppose. And I think about 10 years ago, I started to have an epiphany that all this looking around really uh, was a little bit superfluous, that the answer is just within us. And all we have to do is kind of sink into our hearts and find happiness, which is our true nature. And, um, you know, I, I began to teach a form of meditation to my medical students, residents, and fellows, and got involved in our wellness program at Stanford, and 
began to get invited to give talks about physician wellness because burnout in medicine has been a very significant problem for quite some time. Both physicians and nurses and, and others in medicine have a high incidence of burnout. And um, it just sort of led to the need to have a very simple approach, both because I think that's where the truth is, and also my trainees just don't have a lot of time. And uh, so I thought I would come up with something that could be done in as little as three minutes a day. And, you know, we learn from repetition. So I think sometimes it's really valuable to take small steps, but have a daily practice. And, uh, you know, just like all the other things we do for self-care, you know, we get up in the morning, we do our morning hygiene, uh, we have breakfast, coffee, whatever. Um, you know, we have our evening routines. You know, we have elements of self-care that we wouldn't really think of doing without or skipping. And so I really wanted to help form something that could be incorporated into our daily self-care. And I knew it couldn't be very time-consuming because busy people just don't have a lot of time and often they won't even venture out to learn something new if it's time consuming. So that sort of all led to this uh, three minute daily practice. And I had to sort of synthesize what I felt were the, the most essential components of a contemplative meditation. And the elements of gain just sort of came to me. And uh, I do think sometimes it's easy and fun to have an acronym. It helps us remember things. And I remember when I studied Buddhism that I just did not have the ability to remember the 10 steps to this and the 12 ways of that. So I thought, well, if I'm going to have an acronym, I think four letters for four words is about the most that people can remember easily. And so, again, all the arrows sort of pointed in the right direction, and I came up with this acronym of GAIN. And, um, yeah, I just uh, began speaking about this and teaching this, and it was really resonating, and I had some sabbatical time, which is one of the benefits of, of being in academic medicine. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I have a laboratory where we have very active uh, research in the area of drug disposition in babies and children and teens. Pharmacology is the official term for that. And uh, I didn't want to go anywhere because I had all these studies ongoing and needed to keep my people in the lab busy. So I thought, well, what should I do with my sabbatical time? And again, it's just sometimes it's important just to kind of take a deep breath and sense where the arrows are pointing, as I say. You know, the, the arrows were all pointing in the direction of writing a book. And so that's what I did during my sabbatical, and, and I had a lot of fun with it. And so I've got several more books in the works, which are based on the Good. same theme. Do you think um, – well, let, me, let me phrase this right. I don't know. I'd be happy gonna, by you might have to fix the, <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, I would love for you to – The elements of gain, if you'd like. Yeah, I I would. I've got to I got to back us up for one second though, and talk about. Sure. We've got questions coming in, and so I'm going to answer some of the questions. I'm not going to pull your mics live though. Um, what people are noticing about you is that you're a combination of almost sort of like an east we east meets west doctor, um, um, or however that gets phrased, where you have um, um, some diff, uh, 
not differing beliefs, but additional beliefs that go with helping people stay well or be well. Um, is that why, is that becoming more and more widely accepted? Because I remember when my father had his stroke and we were in a rehab facility, the, um, they, they were just starting to come around about like massage care or acupuncture, you know, all the different modalities for treating people. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, on the upswing. I'm very gratified that we in the West are opening our eyes to millennia old traditions in the East. And, And why shouldn't we? There are obviously many things we can learn from from eastern uh, non or i should say traditional medicine mm-hmm. and uh why not be as holistic as we can there's certainly a lot of wisdom um coming from eastern traditional medicine um which includes uh you know things like acupuncture and meditation and uh you know we sort of we in the west have adapted some of those philosophies and uh, practices uh, for a Western audience, if you will. And a good example of that is mindfulness, which John Kabat-Zinn really started in the late 70s with a a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And he had uh, a number of war veterans who had PTSD and, and their psychological issues were refractory to traditional Western methods of treatment and so he started this mindfulness course for them and demonstrated that they were able to really overcome a lot of their uh, oppression and other issues with respect to chronic stress and it has really uh, blossomed from there over the next several decades and so aside from acupuncture and, as you mentioned, massage and other modalities, mindfulness practice is certainly being embraced in Western medicine, which is terrific. There are hundreds of randomized controlled trials now about mindfulness in medicine and and the efficacy of sort of the mind-body connection. Very important. Well, I I would think so too, and it's I think it's it's really neat to, to be able to have insight into what you do to keep yourself well, um, and and be able to teach some of those things or some of the things that you've learned and and hearing about studies and and so forth. How what is the state of um, doctors right now? Are you finding that everybody needs way more of this right now under the pandemic situation? Yes, I think not only uh, those in medical care, but everybody. You know, we talk about burnout in medicine as being such a substantial problem. And burnout is really a state of emotional and physical fatigue, which is due to chronic stress. And the pandemic is certainly a very stressful period of time for everybody. I think we we all experience this sort of collective stress and suffering, and then we have our own individual personal issues in the pandemic, whether we're, you know, in healthcare in the trenches or whether we're parents at home with young school-aged children who are supposed to be learning uh, from home on their computers and trying to pay attention and 
people's schedules are very disrupted and uh, their sleep is disrupted and there's a sort of snowball effect where people have uh, trouble really keeping borders between work and family time and uh, a bedtime, awake time, uh, exercise is compromised, nutrition may be compromised, and they all kind of play together to create a, a self-propagating circumstance, and it's all related to stress. Yeah. And uh, the stress associated with pandemic is, is something that's unique to all of us. Yeah, and and the fact that too, um, I keep getting a little frustrated that life that the all the things that keep getting sort of layered on top of the pandemic for people, um, we're having people diagnosed with this or that or money problems or job loss or whatever. I mean, it's enough to have a pandemic, and then we seem to have um, this is my own personal thinking here, just things that keep getting layered on. Um, it it's it's a lot to deal with. Absolutely. No, it can be overwhelming. You know, out here in California and, and in Colorado, for example, we've had fires. terrible wildfires. Yes. And we've had, uh, you know, we had weeks where even here at Stanford, it was quite smoky and mm-hmm. then it became very hot. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have air conditioning, for example, they don't have HEPA filters in their homes and, because of the heat, trying to keep keep their windows open, and because of the smoke, trying to keep their homes closed. And just, you know, as you suggested, the combination of these things on top of the baseline level of stress associated with the pandemic, it, it can really be overwhelming. And, you know, I think we all need to be compassionate of our fellow citizens in the U.S. with hurricanes in the south and yeah. wildfires in the west and you know now it's going to be uh cold weather in in your neck of the woods and uh yeah. you know just we all need to find a practice that will refocus us into the present because it's very easy to become obsessive about the future and to some extent the past that's the way our minds work we tend to go to the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. And when we obsess about the future, you know, we have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative things and forget the positive things in our lives. And we tend to catastrophize when we think about the future, think about what's the worst case scenario, even though that will probably never come to be. That's where our mind goes when we kind of, get obsessive about thoughts of the future. And uh, in the pandemic, of course, you know, this is very natural. When will this end? How many people will perish? What will be the impact on my family? So there are a lot of thoughts swirling around in everybody's mind these days. And I think we need to sit and breathe and let go of a lot of those maladaptive thoughts and, and, try to engage in a practice that teaches us to be more present because happiness dwells in the present moment. If we think about all of our happiest times, they're when we were not at all thinking of the past and the future, when we were simply present, when we were walking through the forest and 
in the midst of beautiful tall trees and sunlight filtering through the canopy. And we're certainly not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. We just get lost in the present moment. And that's when our sense of separation from nature and each other tends to dissipate. And likewise, with our happiest moments with uh, a partner, um, whether we're having an intimate period or simply just gazing in each other's eyes and, and appreciating uh, the beauty of our relationship. It's times like that when we're really happy, when we're in the present moment. And I think it's really important to recognize that and ask ourselves the question, how can we be present more of the time? And that's really what the, the GAIN method is, is all about. Thank you for that, because that is why I thought you would be such a brilliant guest uh, on our show and to help our listeners and, and audience and so forth, because I figured, you know, you're teaching this to healthcare professionals. I would love for this to be taught to us. And um, I just think this would be so, I've read your book and I find it incredibly uh, useful and have um, been using I read it about two weeks ago and I've been using what you say for a couple of weeks and I, and I feel better. So um, I think that's, that's wonderful <laughs> to, to feel, just feel even just a little bit better during this period of time. So there's some, you know, I, I think if it helps me, it'll help other people and we just need to kind of get the word out more um, to people beyond maybe who you're teaching it to. Um, and so I, I'm hoping our audience um, grabs a copy of your book. Again, it's called Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And you said you had other books in the works too. But do you want to now kind of go through um, what gain means exactly for us so we could have a little learning sure. session? <laughs> cool. Thank sure. you. Well, you know, the gain elements are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I think those are the pillars of resilience and happiness and G is for gratitude. And I think as you can appreciate Elizabeth, you can be blind and happy. You can be very poor and happy, but you'll never see somebody who's happy who is not grateful. So it's easy to understand that gratitude is uh, a centerpiece of happiness and we have so much for which to be grateful. So, for example, we can consider the pandemic, and, of course, our minds go to all of the negative ramifications that this has on our lives. But let's think back to 100 years ago when there was another pandemic, the great influenza pandemic of 1917-1918, and 50 million people more or less perished during that pandemic. Medical care was minimal. If you go on YouTube or you just search for influenza pandemic 1918, you can see images of great warehouse-sized facilities where there were beds wall-to-wall very close to each other where there were people sick with influenza. Um, And basically, they were just sort of housed together. There wasn't a lot of medical care. And uh, sanitation was poor. People were very isolated. If you had loved ones outside of your home, you completely lost touch with them uh, because everybody was being quarantined and sheltered in place. 
And now fast forward to today when as many people as are perishing during this pandemic, it, it is so much less than it was 100 years ago. And we do have excellent medical care and we do have access to clean water and good food in general. And we may be physically isolated, but we don't have to be virtually isolated. So just as we are having an experience together on this program, of course, Mm -hmm. many people are connecting by Facebook and Zoom and Skype. So conditions are just so much better now than they were 100 years ago. And I think that is something for which we can be extremely grateful. So gratitude is, is with us. Um, all we have to do is kind of sink into it, and, and all of us have, have much for which to be grateful, our, our family, our friends, our health, even if our health is not perfect or even great. Um, it can always be worse, and so we can be yeah. grateful for what we have and learn to really embrace what we have rather than what we lack. And the gain elements are all interrelated. And so we can talk about our negativity bias and how we tend to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. But the G in gain is for gratitude and let's, and let's be mindful of, of all the gifts that we have in our lives. I think that would be really so actually helpful. Oh yeah. I think it'd be helpful to talk about, focusing on what you don't have and sort of maybe teaching people how to, I call it like a gratitude flip or reframe um, to kind of train your brain into gratitude. It's one thing I've, I've learned myself put in, I talk about this in my, in, in my book um, because, you know, I'm a person who's nearly lost their life a couple of times to food allergic reactions. I'm, I'm that person above the age of 10 who has um, life threatening anaphylaxis to peanuts and nuts and, and, and tree nuts and things like that. And so, um, you know, you can really go down into the dumps or you can be like, okay, well, you know, I can't eat that anymore. What, what can I eat? <laughs> but the trick there is to not focus on all the things you can eat. <laughs> it adds weight. But um, it's kind of funny. But, um, and be mindful the, of all the other elements of your health, which are good. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, I mean, yeah. Totally. For the longest time, I I was like, oh, I have something terribly wrong. I'm like, wait a minute. And it took my it, it took a moment with my dad to realize and stop playing victim. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I I won't hijack the show and go into details there. But um, if you could really, that's such a valuable tool to have in the toolbox to talk about focusing on what you do have versus what you don't. Because I can think of all the things I don't have, and that's a really long list. Well, I think, you know, uh, as you know from the book, I I also believe that we cannot ignore those things that are truly painful to us. And, uh, for example, there's a lot of pain and suffering that we're all experiencing related to the pandemic. I think there's a background of pain and suffering from our history, from enslaving people and, and having on the planet so much war and famine and various kinds of conflict, uh, ravaging the ecology of the planet, uh, global warming, all of this creates a background of pain and suffering. And we all have our personal pain and suffering as well. And I don't think we should sort of try to bypass this. 
In other words, do what some call a spiritual bypass, where we just think everything is beautiful and resonant and unified. I think we do have to pay attention to the pain and suffering in our lives. And that's what the A in gain is. It's for acceptance. And as the serenity prayer would have us understand, we need to discern between things we can change and things that we cannot change. And for those things that we cannot change, we need to accept. And, uh, you know, for me, every morning in my gain meditation, the first thing in acceptance that always comes to mind is the loss of my beautiful son, Max, at the age of 29. And this is something, obviously, I can't change, and um, so I need to accept it. So the practice of acceptance is, uh, in the context of, of the gain meditation, is simply as we've closed our eyes and we're getting in touch with our breathing, which is central to really all forms of meditation, I think, slowing our breath, slowing our heart rate, um, inhaling through our nose to a count of three and pausing to a count of two and then letting the breath go effortlessly to a count of four. We contemplate that for which we're grateful. And then we transition to the pain and suffering we experience and that we cannot change. And so my son Max always comes to mind first. And uh, what we do is we sit and while we're breathing, we actually visualize opening our chest and opening our heart and bringing this source of pain closer and closer and closer until we merge with it, until it's part of our heart. And we're so close to it that when we ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain for the rest of my life? The answer becomes yes. And when we really merge with this pain, we often discover that it's not as bad as we anticipated. And so, you know, this is the, the beautiful thing about allowing pain to come into our heart and merging with it that it actually is generally not as devastating as we imagine. And there's a formula in the book you might remember, which is that suffering equals pain times resistance. So when we resist painful things, our suffering increases. And on the flip side, when we accept the pain in our lives in this fashion, our suffering is diminished. So suffering equals pain times resistance, and the opposite of resistance might be acceptance. And we grow our acceptance, and our resistance dissolves, and the pain is still there, but we suffer much less because of it. And so I think this is a, a, a second really, really important principle for us to embrace. So I, I read that about your son, and I'm 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 very sorry for for your loss, and um, I'm um, in awe of your ability to talk about it and also teach about it. Um, if I if I may, I wanted to share a, a story about my co-author. Do you mind if I if I bring her into the loop for a second? Oh, of course not. Okay, so um, I met this gal, her name, our community probably knows this, um, unless you're new to our show today, but I, I met this gal in January on uh, Facebook in a crowd of 300,000 people, 
to, um, she put a note out into this group we're both in and said, I need somebody to learn Zoom with me. And I answered. And um, we're just like soul sisters or something. It's just absolutely incredible. It's like yeah. we have the same middle name. We have the same, you know, it's just, I don't know how you meet somebody, but we just get along like bread and butter. And so we decided to collaborate, merge our networks, write books, do all sorts of cool things together. And um, back in January, her I, we were talking on a Zoom call and her husband was in the background. I'm like, my, he's really lost a considerable amount of weight. And she said, yeah, you, you probably don't want this diet. We're going to go to the doctor and they're going to um, do some scopes and some tests and things like that because something isn't quite right. We think he has an ulcer. So fast forward four months and he passed away um, recently um, in, you know, in July of uh, stage four colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And my co-everything right now who will listen to this would probably love some, that's my cat in the background fiddling with paper, would probably love um, some help from you because you just, you just went through so much about acceptance. And uh, as a whole time you were talking, I was not only thinking about you and your son, but really everybody and, and her as well about, you know, accepting what you can, can change versus what you can't change living with pain. She, she's been having ups and downs. Did you have that? Mm-hmm. Just oh, any advice would of be course. so helpful. And my cat's going to fiddle. Yeah, he loves you. So. I've Mel the podcast kitty. She co-hosts all the shows with me. And when she loves guests and can hear them talking, she's out and about and playing with toys. So that's the noise (laughs) in the background. (laughs) Okay. Very cute. Yeah. No, of course we have ups and downs. I mean, that's, uh, that's the nature of life. So uh, I think the important thing is to accept that about ourselves. And as I said, these gain elements are all kind of, interlaced and so in the the realm of non-judgment we have to learn that we don't have to label everything as good or bad and and that applies to ourselves so when we're down we need to accept that this is just part of life we're human beings it's part of our nature to be up and down. And, and as we learn, as we acquire tools to be more present, we t- kind of take the lows out of those down times. And that's something that we can accomplish, but we should take small steps, baby steps, and have low expectations. In other words, we should not be self-judging. And... Um, Maybe before I go into non-judgment, I should go to the I in game, which is intention. And I will go back to John Kabat-Zinn, who is really the, the grandfather of mindfulness. And he defined mindfulness as an awareness of the present moment that we come to on purpose, non-judgmentally. So the idea is that we don't want to just be led around by our thoughts and events in our lives. We want to live our life with intention, with purpose. And using our intention, we can actually rewire our brain. And as I said before, we we have a negativity bias. We tend to 
remember and cling to negative things and forget about positive things. And we tend to, secondly, obsess about the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. In other words, thinking of the past can be adaptive, meaning that we savor our wonderful memories and we learn from our mistakes. But beyond that, our thoughts of the past generally lead us in a negative direction and they lead us to shame and regret. And we need to recognize when we're wandering into this territory of maladaptive obsession with the past. And the same with the future. It's adaptive to plan for good times. It's adaptive to plan to the extent that we need to put bread on the table. But beyond that, we tend to get stuck in maladaptive thoughts of the future, which bring us toward fear and anxiety. Again, we tend to, with this negativity bias, catastrophize. We think of all the bad things that might happen. And when we recognize that we're doing this, we, we need tools to bring us back toward the present moment. And we can do that with our intention, again, if we're purposeful about it. And a great example of our intention and how we can be purposeful in rewiring our, our brains toward a more positive way of being again, embracing what we have rather than what we don't have, is a program out of Duke University called Three Good Things. Mm -hmm. And what these investigators have found in tens of thousands of subjects who have enrolled in the study is that simply by thinking of three good things before we go to sleep at night, instead of what we often do at the end of the day is remember the things that didn't go well. If we think of three good things, we sleep better and we become happier. So for example, tonight when I'm just turning down the, the bed sheets, I will think of uh, what a beautiful day it is here in Northern California. I just love this fall weather. I will think, Elizabeth, of our conversation and, and what a great connection it was. And that will be another good thing. And I'm having a, my one of my co-authors who co-authored co the chapter on compassion and forgiveness, Dr. Fred Luskin is coming over this afternoon. We, we get together regularly and I'm sure that will be a positive experience. So these are things I'll think of tonight before I go to sleep and it will, it will facilitate a good sleep. And this is an example of a practice that can make us happier. And that is such a great example of how intention, purposefulness, can be used to make us more present and more happy. And so intention is, again, integral, I think, to resilience and happiness. I love that. Thank you for including me in your happy thoughts. I appreciate it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very grateful for that. And um, do you do that in the morning, too? I do. I I. You know, I, my practice in the morning is I get up, I open the blinds. Uh, it may or may not be dark outside at this time of year. But regardless, uh, it's always lovely to look outside. And uh, I do my morning hygiene thing. And then I have a little meditation room. So I go into that room and I sit. And I do my morning gain contemplation or contemplative meditation. And, you know, I start with the breathing and then I go through gratitude and then acceptance 
intention and non-judgment. And so this is my morning practice. And sometimes I don't have a lot of time, but I, I uh, practice and teach actually setting your intention the night before and setting your alarm for three minutes earlier than you would have otherwise. And I think that's something we all have time to do. We're not going to notice three minutes less sleep or we can go to bed three minutes earlier so that in the morning we have three minutes to sit and breathe and go through our gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So that's something that I do every morning. Love it. One of the things um, uh, that I help, help people do every once in a while is lose weight um, and just kind of release We'll, we'll like a hundred pounds over a year and a half or, or whatever. Um, and one of the practices I have when I very first meet people um, to do that is aside from um, changing up what they drink, also um, having them lie on the floor and till their mind quiets. And I've done this exercise with hundreds of people and generally I kind of got like a little log going. Generally, it takes a person the first time doing that on average about an hour and a half before their mind quiets. They'll get up and stuff too. They don't, they're down there for a whole hour and a half. But, um, but, or we'll take chunks of time, like 20 minutes at a time, if I know it's going to take somebody ultimately four hours or something like that before their mind quiets. But I've done this exercise, I started doing this myself actually. Um, just, just to, just to see how long it would take my mind to quiet down, because my mind goes on and on and thinking and creating and doing all this stuff. And it took me a good long while. The first time I, I went on the floor and just was there trying to meditate, I had grocery lists and shopping lists and things to do and all this stuff and on and on and on. Do you want to kind of take that and explain myself to me? <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, you know, I think that our minds are cluttered and uh, they're sort of, you know, the wheels are always turning. And uh, I can just go to the N in gain, which is non-judgment. You know, we are always labeling everything in our senses. So we see something and we think it's good or bad or too too big, too small. Uh, we compare people to one another and to ourselves. So, you know, we are yeah. always thinking with our negativity bias that that person is smarter than I am, that person is better looking, that person is in better shape, and we're always comparing and judging. And, again, we can use our intention to sort of think a little bit differently. And with regard to this constant activity of the mind, we can uh, realize that we're always making these comparisons and these judgments and begin to practice seeing the world exactly as it is. We didn't create it. We didn't make it the way it is. We're not going to change it. Let's just accept it and, and drop the label of good or bad and just start to learn to accept it just exactly as it is. And when we do that, when we start to accept people as they are, it becomes only natural to begin to think of ourselves in the same way and, and accept ourselves exactly as we are. And this is an example of a practice that I think does tend to quiet the mind because one of the things that's kind of propelling our mind, mind uh, activity is judgment. 
And again, as you pointed yeah. out, you know, dwelling on the past, dwelling on the future. So you've got lists of things to do in the future. And your mind is also kind of reliving things that, that happened already and, and, and judging them. So let's embrace non-judgment in addition to the gratitude, acceptance, and intention practices. And this will help quiet our mind. So when I find that my mind is racing this way and I'm having a difficult time being present, I just go back to my breath. And there's kind of a conditioned response. You know, when you, when you learn to do a brief meditation, and the gain meditation is actually you're contemplating things. So you're giving your mind something on which to rest rather than expecting that you're going to empty your mind of all thoughts. I think a lot of people think that that's what meditation is. And maybe they were taught to meditate that way. And the expectation that you can sit and empty your mind of all thoughts is unrealistic for most of us. So yeah why not give your mind something really productive that brings you into the present moment to think about? And so that's the breathing, the G, the A, the I, the N, and then back to the breath before we slowly open our eyes. So, you know, if we're purposeful, we can adopt a practice that will help us deal with all this activity of the mind that's not productive. Yeah. Most people um, who, who work with me will tell me that they can't, they did exactly what you said. They can't kind of like empty their mind entirely, but it quiets to a a level in which that they can listen and hear Um, because before all they heard was their own thinking going constantly. And then you, you brought up such a wonderful point about um, compare and despair or um, being jealous of other people, you know, all those things. I always think that that just blocks your gratitude instantly. Like the second you compare yourself to somebody else, you've just totally roadblocked gratitude for yourself. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, instinctively and from your own experience that judging is really nonproductive. Yet it's something yeah. we, we tend to do. So, again, we need to be intentional and, and steer our thoughts in a more positive direction. And by doing that, we'll actually become happier. I mean, after all, happiness is our true nature. When you look at a newborn, you can tell that they're not really thinking about being in the uterus 15 minutes ago or what's going to happen tomorrow. They're just right there right now. And they seem rather blissful when they're not crying, but uh, you know, they (laughs) seem very present. And then as we develop, we learn to be uh, to separate ourselves from others and that's necessary but it has sort of a dark side and we 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 learn to be wary and negative and eventually to be kind of more and more obsessed with thoughts of the past and the future you know how old were your kids when they started worrying about the future and wondering if they were going to get into college and which college and you know, comparing themselves to their friends and do they meet others' expectations? And so, you know, this is just uh, the way our minds develop. But as adults, we do have the ability, if we recognize the importance of so doing, to begin to rewire our minds. We don't necessarily need to be feeling so separated and, and feeling so judgmental. And, uh, you know, baby steps, 
We adopt a, we, <laughs> we gravitate to a practice. We have low expectations. There's no such thing as failure. We make tiny bits of progress every day, and we stick to a practice every day. I think those are the important principles. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, with just a few minutes left, I, I need to bring up baseball because you've hinted at it a little bit, and I'm like, sense in baseball. So tell me about baseball. Were you, were you a college athlete? Did you play in high school? Do you just love baseball? Clue me in because I have a college, we have a college baseball player. <laughs> we love baseball. Yeah, I didn't get oh. that far in baseball, but I, I just loved baseball when I was a kid. You know, I was a big uh, Chicago Cubs fan since I huh? grew up outside of Chicago. And, you know, we played baseball all the time on my little dead-end street is a wonderful place to grow up with a little cul-de-sac and uh you know i've always been into fitness so i you know was uh competing in sports in high school and college and and thereafter i love playing ice hockey um i've gotten very fond of cycling although i'm not competitive about it um yeah so i, I fitness was part of uh my family culture my parents were tennis players and you know, that being active and, and getting out and exercising was always part of my daily routine. And, and thank goodness for that because I've embraced it to the present time and uh, feel very fortunate that I can stay fit and engaged in exercise, which I think is so important. And, you know, the last three chapters of the book are about sleep, exercise, and nutrition. And I think those have gone to the wayside for many people during COVID, but uh, let's bring ourselves back to those practices, you know, and focus on our sleep hygiene, get a little bit of exercise at least every day. It's, it's not that difficult to go out for a walk at a minimum and focus on what we're eating as well. Uh, you know, I've never lost my interest in nutrition and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fond of focusing on that and teaching the residents and fellows in the intensive care unit about the importance of nutrition. And so anyway, exercise, uh, among those other things, has always been a part of my life, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I put you up in our healthiest, best you section on, on Best Ever You. So um, a little bit about you and your book are, are in that section, too. We've got kind of a we've always kind of had a wellness initiative with Best Ever You. Um, I'm an old gymnast. Um, and still uh, not super active doing gymnastics right now, but, you know, still walking and, and yoga and, and all the stuff that kind of, I call it gymnastic warmups, but um, yeah, that's, that's cool. Do you follow baseball? Uh, like you know, I'm still or no, not so much anymore. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know it's the world series now, so I'll tune into a game uh, and, and <laughs> yeah. the latter sure. innings and see if it's close. And uh, yeah. You know, I'm sort of a fair-weather baseball fan. I wait for the World Got Series and, and the later games in particular. So I think there's uh, game six tonight. I know that. And yeah, I'll turn it on briefly at least and see what's happening. I, I think, you know, it's such an art. Uh, the game is such an art. And also oh, the guys yeah. who do the announcing on television are just so knowledgeable and, you know. It's a hard game a, to learn. thing unto itself. <laughs> A hard game to learn and a hard game to play. Um, you know, one more thing before we go. You said your parents were tennis players. My co-author on two of my of our children's books is Sally Huss, um, Sally Moore Huss, and she's in the Occidental Hall of Fame for tennis and a former Wimbledon finalist. So that might be of interest right. to you. I don't know, but uh, Sally Moore Huss. She's um she's eighty now and she has 
uh, written a hundred, written and illustrated over a hundred children's books. She's just lovely. So if tennis is in your yeah, is in your family, she's lovely. But anyway, it is it's been so much fun getting to know you and learning from you. I have um, like notes everywhere, so thank you for that. Um, I love I love learning, and uh, I consider myself a lifelong learner. And I know a lot of us do here in the Best Ever You community. So it's just a joy to learn from you and and have you here. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's great being with you. I'm happy to come back anytime you'd like. Please, 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 please. All right. So um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Best Ever You show today, um, which is Tuesday, um, October 27th here. And uh, we actually have three shows this week um, that all represent that look within, um, finding your strength within, finishing the year strong, um, and things that we can do to help us be our best here um, during the pandemic and, and really always. So tomorrow we have Deb Landry with us. She's the author of Independence. And then on Thursday, we have our friend Coach Solano. He's the head baseball coach of the University of New Haven where our son plays. And he comes on you know, every few months and, and does some, some great talks about not just baseball, of course, but all the things that uh, you learn sort of in baseball and apply to life through coaching. Um, and he, he's had so many individuals cross his path, um, like our Dr. Greg Hammer here, um, that it's just wisdom and a great show. So thank you all so much for listening. And um, before you go, let's, let's um, point people back to your website, which is greghammermd.com. And we'll put up some blogs and so forth too. So thank you everybody for listening. And thank you again, um, Dr. Hammer for being with us. And again, he's the author of Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals, which can be purchased on Amazon. There's links on his websites. And of course you can take the ISBN code from the back of the book and go purchase that at independent bookstores as well. So thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.